Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Uh, good morning, Fred. Into a brand new month, and joining us in this edition is the publisher of The Dispatcher, our friend Michael Senna. Great to have you with us again from Sweden, Michael. Hello, Fred. Hello, Alan. It's always a pleasure to uh, join you both. Great having you again. In the August edition of The Dispatcher, you start out with a little reflection, Michael, a, a photograph from August 1971, the Apollo 15 mission to the moon and the lunar roving vehicle. And you focused on that, I suppose, for a reason. Yeah, well, for me, the, the lunar rover was, was the ultimate in form follows function. Uh, I was in my second year of uh, graduate school in architecture and urban planning and to see that as a as a as a as a car riding around on the moon, you know, what else could what else could it be other than than that great design? And it's it's stayed with me ever since then. An electric vehicle, four wheel drive. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the new yeah, and, appro- and appropriately sized, and and it it had the same reflection on me, and of course. Uh, we were there together at that time at, at That's right. Princeton campus. That's right. We certainly were. The newsletter then focuses on the EU Data Task Force, which held a meeting in June. Give us uh, the overview here, Michael, and, and the significance. Yeah, the uh, the reason that I've I've spent uh, a lot of of, of words and and uh, focused on this issue is that it really is a, an important change in an approach that the uh, European Commission has taken. Um, I've, I've been rather critical of the, of the Commission and, and some of the efforts that it's taken because oftentimes they've, they've excluded the automobile manufacturers from the, from the important meetings. They, they say they have met with them, they've gotten their input, but oftentimes the, the folks who are making the decisions around the, uh, the automobile industry, particularly when it comes to to uh, ITS, intelligent transport systems, are not necessarily those who are directly involved in it. That's partly due to the fact that the the automobile companies have have not wanted to sit in the same room uh, together uh, because they have their own um, their own ways of doing things. They don't want to be able. They don't want to be forced to share these with others. But it's also due to the commission having an approach which is not necessarily in tune with what the automobile companies have wanted to do. And there's been a history of that. This is different. For the, it seems to me that for the first time, they really have taken an inclusive approach where the OEMs, the, the suppliers, uh, people from the, um, the um, road authorities have come together and have worked together to try to develop an approach that will see data from vehicles being used to provide safety and, and eventually other types of, of um, applications for car users. Um, it, it's not based on, on, on the, the um, vehicle-to-vehicle information processes that, that have been fo- focused on by the, by the European uh, Commission. Uh, it's open to the use of the systems that have already been put in place by the by the car companies and truck companies so this is a really important uh, event in the in the sort of the the entire history the 20 year history of um, the commission and car companies it, it's it's almost like it's it's a culmination of everything that's happened and it, it's it's culminated in a very good way and i see this as a very positive step for the for what's going to happen in the future Alan, well, yes, and I, I agree. And and Michael has been in the midst of, of a lot of this, and uh, this is uh, really important. Uh, the establishment of this uh, of this data standards and and this approach, and I think it's uh, they they've all already started having some positive implications on this. Correct, Mike? Yep, that's right. They're they're beginning to uh, to. Uh, start a series of, of tests and with BMW, Ford, Mercedes, Volvo uh, will be working in uh, initially working in the Netherlands um, where they're going to be testing the, the concept of, of how they're going to, to take data from the vehicle, process the data, and then get it back to the vehicles 
uh, for initially for safety applications. The, the, main, the main messages that they're looking at and the proof of concept that they're going to be doing, we look at slippery roads, uh, obstacles on the road, unprotected accident areas, short-term uh, roadworks, reduced visibility, wrong way driver, uh, unmanaged blockage of the road and exceptional wet weather conditions. This is a, this sort of the basis of what they'll be doing. Uh, and then they'll extend from there. Yes, and uh, I think one extension is maybe to the infotainment centers within the within the car. Uh, what's your view on that or that port or portion of it? I, I think I think they're they're not going to be initially um, infotainment systems if they're integrated with their telematics or their communication systems. But this is how the data is going to be processed and then presented to, to the to the drivers is I think is going to be part of how the that's sort of the the intellectual property of the individual car uh, car manufacturers uh, some will use messaging that will be part of the infotainment system some will use different types of messaging it could be voice uh, could be visual could be other types of, of, uh, of ways but that part of it isn't really to say defined in, in terms of what the what the uh, what this group is going to be doing. The main thing is that they will be sharing the data. It'll be processed from the vehicles and sent to all of the different um, makes of vehicles. It won't be Volvo sending to Volvo and Daimler sending to Daimler as it is today. It will be all of these vehicles sending data to their individual processing, sending it to a, a group. It could be here. It could be TomTom. Tom, it could be another third party and then distributing that data back to the vehicles. Which is really important because in a sense, some of these things are somewhat safety critical, especially, you know, the road conditions or changing road conditions reports. And it would re be really nice if, uh, if a Mercedes encounters this, it lets also a, a Volvo and an Audi and a Ford and a GM know that, hey, um, there's ice ahead. That's right. That's exactly... So that's exactly what the, this is intended to do. Which is really good. Uh, in, in the uh, current smart driving uh, car uh, newsletter, I actually put in clickbait uh, uh, an article that's, that's about the cybersecurity implications of all of this communication and the, um, the uh, unknown risks that are associated. Any thoughts on, on, you know, cybersecurity, uh, does this open us up to really unknown risks that would create um, all sorts of problems or does it make it easier? What are your thoughts on that, Michael? My, my main problem with, the, with the, the approach that has been taken uh, previously, both in the U.S. and, and in uh, Europe with vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication has been based on my, my view that it, that it is not secure. The, the approach that, that with DSRC, uh, Wi-Fi, 802.11p is not a secure approach to communication. The individual companies that have been working on, on safety-based telecommunications efforts, telematics efforts like Volvo, BMW, Daimler, um, these companies have built in one-to-one -one communication between the vehicle and their telematics backend. They've created a system that is extremely difficult to crack. This does this approach doesn't apply to to Tesla because we've seen what's happened to Tesla. Although they fixed the the problem, doesn't apply to Chrysler. They didn't take the same approach that, that Volvo and others have taken. So the 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 OEMs have really focused on the whole concept of of security. The Commission and there's all of these a number of these groups that have been working on this separately have not really completely understood what the OEMs have been doing and have done and have accomplished. What, they've, what they seem to be doing now is understanding in this task force, they seem to be making the, the let's say, acknowledging the fact that the, the OEMs know best how to, to secure the messaging to and from their vehicles and allow the, the OEMs to to perform that messaging to and from their vehicles, not involving sort of neutral third parties or not allowing data to be flowing in safety data particularly, but data that's going to be used inside the vehicle, not to allow that to just sort of communicate over the, over the internet. And that's the key here. 
the the OEMs have responsibility for their for their systems for getting the data to and from the vehicles. What happens to that data in between is processing it into into information that then can be used and then sent back to the vehicles. But that sending back to the vehicles again is in in the hands of the of the the OEMs. So I think that. This is a very another very important part of, of how this this data task force differs from what's happened in the past. That's why I've, I've given it a, a you know an A plus um, in terms of what what they've done so far. I, I think it's also important that uh, each of the individual OEMs is doing his or her, her own. Uh, communications on this so that it is not one system that is being hacked and the, therefore the opportunity to create chaos over overall in some sense uh, if one is to crack the system as a whole one has to go crack them all at the same time yeah. which certainly lowers the probability or the chances or the propagation or all the things that are in that in that report that then tends to suggest oh my goodness um, yeah. uh, we're in real trouble uh, comments um, yeah. so so i think that's all very good and it's very nice we should also note, uh, Michael, that you took the time in the latest dispatch here to, to pay tribute to the late Lee Iacocca. Yep. Well, there, there are a couple of things about Lee Iacocca. <laughs> I don't have to go into the Italian-American connection here, but um, I mean, he grew up in Allentown. He's, he's, a, he's, he's a person who... Allentown, Pennsylvania. Allentown, <laughs> Pennsylvania. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah well, we, we know it thing. well, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, you're we, from Scranton, and I grew right. up in Pittsburgh, so uh, yeah. go Stillers. Great. But we, he wasn't... I don't know if he ever... He, he, I, I don't, he didn't play sports because of... of he didn't play sports. Um, but we played my my high school team played his high school team in, in football, and we never won. They were they were just too too tough for us. It's, it's a he came from a background that that said, you know, I'm going to make the best of my life, and he did. I mean, the the guy was a is a he, he was brilliant. He went to to Lehigh. He did his graduate work in in engineering at at uh, at Princeton. He wanted to go into the automobile industry. He did. He did a great job for for a number of companies. I mean, what's not what's not to like about the guy? I mean, maybe folks didn't like his his cigar smoke, and maybe didn't like this the way he he approached life with with his maybe his politics. But when it came to what he did for the car industry, especially for Chrysler, um, he he deserves all the all the praise in the world. Basically, saved the company, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we both both love him dearly. Yeah. <laughs> well, some other news to touch on. Uh, according to The Verge, Congress is calling on stakeholders in the self-driving car industry to help with their efforts to draft legislation aimed at speeding up the adoption of autonomous vehicles. This is coming, according to The Verge, from uh, two committees working together, the, the House Energy and Commerce Committee and the Senate Commerce Committee. Alan? Well, yes, I, th- I think we need some legislation, but I, again, I keep focusing and I repeat so often that there, we, we have two different businesses here. We, we, we have the safe and self-driving uh, uh, car business, which is the, the consumer business, and we have the, the transit business, uh, the mobility as a service business, which for it to to really um uh do what it needs to do and and be be uh, uh successful economically uh, needs driverless and and they're they're two separate things and we need i think we need legislation we need to separate those two things uh, you know the 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 operational design domain for for driverless vehicles is is initially uh, initially it's it's very small we have it now we have it we have in morgantown west virginia we've had since 1975 uh, a a driverless vehicle operating safely but what does it need it needs a track it needs to be protected from children chasing balls and all these kinds of things so if we want to allow these vehicles, these driverless vehicles to provide that, that 
uh, affordable mobility uh, without uh, and, and using our existing public roads, which is which is the key. That's the that's that's almost a more important economic element of this thing that than is the driverless piece because otherwise, you know, in Morgantown one had to go build a a, a, a infrastructure for it. Uh, it got away with not paying for a driver, but but it had to pay for the infrastructure. The nice thing about driverless is it it bega- it utilizes all this enormous investment that we've already made in the infrastructure, and one doesn't. And at least in the beginning, while one is ramping up, one doesn't have to pay for it, and so that economic incentive could allow for the provision of this mobility. But where? Uh, it, it's going to be very limited in the beginning. It, it's not it's certainly not going to be anywhere near everywhere. It's going to be in the easiest places. It, it may never get to Manhattan. It, it may never even get to 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 uh, San Francisco, downtown San Francisco. Maybe it shouldn't even get to downtown San Francisco. There are other ways to get around downtown San Francisco. But in so many of our other communities, uh, uh, the only way to get around is with a car and using it yourself. Well, maybe uh, you know the, these things could could have could provide the mobility to those who uh, who either can't afford a car or can't or can't don't have access to a car. And so I think that 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 the legislation and the regulation and the common carriage obligation uh, uh, obligation and and win-win partnership between between the operator and 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 the the community uh, those need to be the focus of the legislation which is entirely different than than the kind of legislation one might need to make sure that that in fact uh, uh, I can take my hands off the wheel every once in a while in my Tesla well, they're asking for help, Alan. On a, there's a train that goes to D.C. not far from you. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they want my help. But, you know, I, hey, I, of course I'm happy to help them. I'm trying to help New Jersey do something, and hopefully I'll be successful there. And, I've certainly been trying hard enough. And we'll be hearing more about that in the, in the weeks to come, I hope. From, I hope so, too. Yes, uh, that's moving forward. From Automotive News, a story with the headline, How Safe? do self-driving vehicles need to be? And that's a topic that you and Michael have had some interesting discussions about. Uh, right. And it's, it's uh, you know, fundamentally it ends up being a, a risk and reward <laughs> trade-off. And, and the fundamental trade-off is on the perceived risk and the perceived reward by each of us as individuals as to whether or not um, uh, we're going to do it or not do it, or use it or not use it. In some sense, it's also a a bigger picture as to whether or not it's made available to us or not made available to us. And so it is a tough issue. And, um, and Michael, do you want to jump in here and some comments? This is a tough one. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not sure I, I really understand why this, the question is asked or what the, what the purpose of, of the question is. And if you have a car and the car is driving on, on public roads, there are enough regulations starting with, with the UN regulations that apply in most places in the world and incorporated into, into the laws of countries and laws of States. I mean, there's, it's, they have to be as safe as, as anything else that's driving on the road. I mean, I would rather see a question, how safe do, do electro, uh, electric scooters have to be? And we know how safe cars have to be because everything about the cars, putting a car, manufacturing a car, putting a car on the road, it has to meet certain requirements. If it doesn't, it doesn't get to go, to go there. Just That's the reason why there aren't any Chinese cars on the U.S. roads. They can't, make, they can't meet the requirements that the U.S. government and states have, have for them. So whatever you put on the road has to be at least as safe as that. The fact that it, if the idea of self-driving is, is also a, a red herring, either it doesn't have a driver 
and it's moving in a way that a, that a normal car would move, it needs to be as safe as if it had a driver. Otherwise, you can't put it on the road. And again, that's why we don't have driverless cars on the roads today, because they can't guarantee that they're, that they're safe enough, period. I mean, talk to, I, I, talk to I, I Google, talk, talk, to, talk to anybody. Next, the next issue of the, of the dispatcher is, is going to be about three companies who are working now with OEMs in the in the United States, um, uh, Argo, uh, Cruise, and um, Aurora. None of these companies have cars that can be used today on the roads. They, they, they're just not capable of doing what needs to be done. The same is true of, of, of Waymo. That's why they don't have a car on the road and anybody else. So it's, I don't know. I think the, I think it's a dumb question, actually. I think it has to be as safe well, as any car. Yeah, no, well, I, I agree with this, safe as any car, but I think that yeah. there's also some, uh, one also has this concept of this operational design domain is where is it, are you, go, uh, are you going to let it operate? And so certainly, uh, you know, uh, one, uh, it, in, in certain places, one, it is as safe as a, as a regular car. If it's, it happens to be in your, in your garage, uh, and you've uh, put up the appropriate protections around there so that it's not going to encounter anything surprising, then of course you sit there and operate. I think that there are also some some places where it it can meet this requirement, and, and for example, in in some communities uh, on local streets uh, where there has been sufficient precautions uh, to to make it and allow it to be, and there's certain enough respect and welcoming of of the of the uh, vehicles uh, to uh, to allow it uh, to be as safe. Uh, you know, um, a, a car isn't safe if I stand in the bushes and jump out in front of it. Uh, you know, so uh, uh, my goodness, um, um, uh, you won't be able to stop. I won't be able to stop. Uh, so that's not the situation. And we really almost can't have our communities saying, okay, to their, to their children, if one of these cars is coming down the road, go out and jump in front of it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there, there's that, that piece of it is also there. And I think there are places where, in fact, uh, these vehicles could be of enormous service to the public good. Uh, to improve the quality of life of of, of a number of folks uh, who who um, who, who um, haven't benefited from the mobility that that you and I have uh, have benefit benefited from, if if we if we do this appropriately and get the darn thing and and, and allow the thing to start. To say that it has to be able to also, you know, drive down, uh, you know, some creek bed or 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 climb um, the uh, Chinese wall, as uh, as I see from commercials of of Land Rover, I mean, uh, uh, well, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, not too many people are going along the Chinese wall to from A to B. Whatever. More comments, Michael. <laughs> yeah, well, it. it the taxis in our community don't don't do anything other than pick people up on roads or in some cases like right now we have someone living on the the ground floor beneath our our apartment our condominium who who has 24 hour a day care he had brain damage as as a young uh, child he's now 35 years old um he can walk he can't communicate he can't talk, but he can walk haltingly. He needs care 25, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every now and then a, a car picks him up, a taxi picks him up, takes him someplace, either to a hospital or to, to, a, to some other care facility, brings him home. And we have taxi services that occur in, the, in our community, taking people of all ages with a number of different types of disabilities or both permanent and temporary to get to where they need to go. We, you don't have that in the United States in the same way that we have it here in Sweden. If I wanna get a taxi to take me to the train station and I call them at eight o'clock in the morning 
on a Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning, I can't get that taxi because they're taking people who need to get to places either to school, to special needs people, to school or to, to hospitals or to certain kinds of care. After nine o'clock or 9.30, I can get a taxi again. I mean, th this has to do with money. It doesn't have to do with, with, Al and I have had this discussion. We just recently had it over the phone. Um, it, it has to do with, with being able to afford to have people driving taxis and that's why I think we need to we need we need to address this issue both at a at a at a policy level. Do people who need to be in different places have the right, and do we have the money and, and the ability to raise the money to get them there? Whether the car is coming without a driver or with a driver is secondary. We, we put the horse before the we've put the horse behind the cart. We're, we're talking about something that really is a policy issue as opposed to talking about something that, that's a technical issue, whether a car can drive itself and get itself to the front, to, to our front door, which is not on a, a road. It's a, it's a gravel path where, where there are children and, 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 and dogs and cats that are out there that need to be cared for. It, it's, so the, the taxi has to come to, the, to our front door, but the front door is not on a road. Well, uh, yes, and we have had this discussion. It is a policy question, but in the end, you got to follow the money. And um, unfortunately, here in the United States, nobody wants to give the money to be able to do this. And and so, therefore, all the all the folks who could really benefit from having enhanced mobility are sitting there with a second second class form, third, fourth, fifth class form of mobility. Yeah. Uh, my only my only hope, or I guess uh, uh, as I see, is that I I still believe that we can put enough enough uh, um, uh, sensors and enough intelligence or if you want to call it intelligence, enough code and algorithms in a vehicle such that it can drive as safe as, as I can. Mm. Uh, that's, that's an assumption I make. And I, I admit that, that maybe that is not a reachable assumption. I, I look at the driving function, even on a gravel road with children around, if you're going 12 miles an hour, it's, <laughs> you shouldn't hit anybody and you only have to go 12 miles, only want to go 12 miles an hour. You only have, you know, 20 meters to go or 50 meters to go. Yeah. So, so, you know, uh, this isn't the uh, German Autobahn 200 miles an hour. How fast can I go as a whatever you know, this is this is providing mobility, and I think I think if we if we look at at the low speed stuff, and and you know people go down Cleveland Lane in front of my house, it's a twenty five mile an hour speed limit. I sit there and I yell at them because you know everyone speeds down my road. Why in the hell are you going through Cleveland Lane at at uh, greater than twenty five miles an hour? So within communities, I think, you know, if we if we all behaved a little bit better in our cars and if we then just uh, 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 took it a little bit easier, um, uh, my goodness, we might be able to achieve some of this sooner. Yeah. I think eventually, you know, 100 years from now, who knows what absolute, uh, you know, I guess. Uh, but I think it's my it's sort of my interest to try to see if we can't get some of it sooner you know related to this uh, i think is a, is a report that you comment on titled uh, safety first for automated vehicles that has attracted uh, your attention before and it comes from a group of uh, european automakers and suppliers uh yes and that's from the uh, from that group uh, michael comment on on any of that yeah well you you included it in the uh the last self-driving car, smart driving car blog. And then I sent, I sent a note back to you. And that's the reason we had a conversation on, on uh, about this. Where did it come from? What was the, who took the initiative? Uh, if you look at the, the report, it's got lots of authors. Um, the authors start with Aptiv, which is a Delphi um, sort of comp a company that's come out of Delphi. Um, but then it's Audi BMW, uh, Daimler, the three owners of, of um, uh, here. Then there's here. Um, FCA is the is the um, 
actually it's not the joker i don't want to use that word but it's it's the <laughs> it's the non it's the non-german uh, automobile company that's uh, that's part of the group i'm not sure what their the purpose of them of them being there but then there's then there's volkswagen um when we talked about this i said to to alan the experience that I had starting when I when I first arrived in in Europe working for Volvo back in 1990, early 1993, uh, I immediately became part of the the standardization that was going on with with uh, geographic data files and then location referencing and traffic information, and as part of that meeting with all of the automobile companies the the, the Navtech and Tel Atlases at, at at the time, and what I what I learned is that particularly in Germany, and it may happen in other countries, but particularly in Germany, there, there is a process where the car companies discuss things of interest to them. Um, and it's very important to understand this in the context of, of how we see car companies or any type of company sitting together in the same room. Um, it's it's a very difficult thing to do, and particularly in the United States, because of the laws that are that that uh, that regulate collusion, uh, the 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 companies setting setting rules that that protect them against everyone else. And this I trust. Yeah, you know, and I trust. So this isn't what I'm talking about. What but what the what the German companies have done. And over time, and it, it has helped them, it's had, and it's helped the entire industry, is to look at issues that affect everyone and to work. Um, they have working groups that occur. Some, some, some working groups meet on a, on a weekly basis, others meet on a monthly basis, but eventually there are times when meet and discuss issues. This has nothing to do with with fixing things that shouldn't be fixed, whether it's pricing or whether it's of and and by the way, the the issue that is on everyone's mind and has been for the last four or five years with the, the cheating on the on the diesel has nothing to do with this. Um, and I mean how that occurred and whether it occurred outside of the companies or whether it occurred individually is is still an issue that that you know, is being debated. The German companies have been very good at establishing the basis of the conversation. Let's get our ideas together in in the interest of the car companies in within Germany because we have particular issues. We have an autobahn. They don't have that an autobahn in 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 Sweden. They don't have an autobahn autobahn in in the UK. Uh, we don't have toll roads. They've got toll roads in, in uh, France. They've got toll roads in Italy. We have particular issues that we need to, we want to address and we need to address. We have states. They don't, you know, it's one big country. We have states. We have laws in individual states. So they take these issues and they work on them. And one of the issues that, that way back when was how do we get data into a navigation system? We want it as a group the, the initiated by Volvo, Volvo said, why don't we have a single standard where we can give a CD from one company to another company, they could stick it in their, their navigation system and it could work perfectly. Why don't we get all of the companies to work on this together? We had a meeting in Hamburg that was initiated by Volvo. I was leading that meeting. 50, comp 50 people were in the room. All of the car companies, all of the, the European car companies were represented, every single one of them. But we also had General Motors and we had Ford in the form of Opel and Ford Europe. Everyone agreed at that meeting to work together to develop a common standard, except one company. That company was BMW. BMW said, no, we don't want to do this. We left the meeting. Everyone else said yes at the meeting within less than a month. Daimler, Mercedes-Benz, Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche, even Opel said, we're going to do this in another way. And the entire thing fell apart. Ten years later, a group had been formed after that meeting. It went on its own. It developed a 
a, an approach to a geographic a data standard. And that, that group today is working with a number of organizations to implement that, that approach. They've taken the same approach. If you look at GSM in the, in the telephone world, uh, it was a, a, a German initiative initially. They incorporated everyone else in after they, they established the basis. So they work on this. And this, when I looked at this paper, all I thought was they're establishing the ground rules. And the ground rules, they want to focus on safety because they, the car companies, have to deliver cars that are safe. No one else needs to be concerned about safety. You can be a Waymo, you can be an Uber. Your job is not safety. Car company's job is is delivering a, a vehicle that's going to be able to work on the roads and deliver safe operation. And that focus is very clear in this this paper. And everything that the paper says is focused on what car companies do and how car companies are responsible for the implementation of a, of a vehicle that can operate in a safe mode, whether it's being driven by a person or being driven by itself. Well, I, I think that that is true. I think in some sense, although it is a little bit self-serving because the safety floor or the safety um, let's call it a safety floor uh, that is establishing is how safe they currently are uh, in their, in their designs of their automobiles, um, which are um, yes, they're safe, but yet they, they, um, they both uh, promote uh, uh, as well as allow um, excessive speeding uh, they both, um, um, I don't know if they promote, but they certainly allow tailgating. Uh, they allow you to cut in. And they haven't done any uh, anything. Volvo, yes, has instituted a, a speed uh, limit on their vehicles. Uh, but, the, but they've kept themselves, uh, they've, they've defined the safety <clears throat> within their current um, uh, safety envelope. And 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 so it, it's not that they're uh, really trying to um, uh, go to um, um, uh, vision zero. Not yeah. uh, again. Yeah. That's a goal, yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and when it's not achievable, but in some sense, it's that. Again, as 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 we were discussing earlier, the, the safety issue, the safety issue is all within what I what is, would be has to be called a, a an operational design domain, and where is it that the vehicles are going to be used and and, and kept? Yes, if you if if you um, to to have a vehicle so that it's safe, so that it can operate on the German autobahn at an unlimited speed limit, uh, that uh, at, at unlimited speeds, and of course you're not going to put a speed limiter on a vehicle, um, uh, I guess. Um, and and so, um, uh, but if if really one is interested to. Uh, maybe do um, uh, short haul uh, mobility within a community, uh, within an environment of, of of low speeds, within an environment that's not heavily congested, within an environment that's that's not Manhattan, and so on. I think there's there's other ways to look at this safety floor. Um, I, when I talk about safe driving cars, uh, you know, I, I like to talk about them as being basically that that what it's like an optimization problem and in an optimization problem you have uh, you have uh, uh, decision variables you have an objective function and you have constraints uh, in a safe driving car uh, the constraint is you have a driver in there that is attentive uh, that's the constraint who's doing the driving um, the um, the decision variables are the various uh, algorithms, control mechanisms, uh, uh, designs, um, uh, uh, and 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 the sensors that you have in the vehicle. And the objective function is make that thing as safe as possible. Um, you know, drive uh, deaths to zero, drive um, crashes to zero, and that's the objective function. Uh, you know, you can't, you know, you're not going to get to zero, but that's what you're doing. In a driverless vehicle, it's it's quite different. 
I I take the driverless vehicle as 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 um, uh, the constraint is is that you don't have a driver in there and that you're as safe as if you would as you put it had a driver in there but that's a floor uh, and uh, again the, the 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 decision variables are all the gizmos and algorithms and sensors and so on that you put in the vehicle and the objective function is to say, you know, how many trips, how valuable can I be to society if I build one of these things and operate it on, on streets? Um, how, how many more customers could I get? How much more value can I, can I, draw, I, I, I provide society? And so if, if I look at it those ways, I think that the, the issue of safety is, is quite different. On one, it's hey, I want to make that thing, you know, go to safety, uh, be the best of all best. But in the other, I think we 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 keep it as a floor, as a constraint, as as a as in some sense we got to achieve at least that one. And I think that those are two very different things. And then if you look at the middle ground, which is the Tesla, where which what does that do? Uh, there, the objective is how how much can I text. I still need to be behind that wheel, but is it going to allow me to text for just three seconds, five seconds, 15 seconds, or four hours? <clears throat> and, and, and that's uh, where I, you know, I try to get my gizmos and my algorithms to, to be able to do that. Anyway, that's, that's one way to look at that. I know it might be a little weird to look at it that way, but that's kind of the way I think of things. Why? Because I guess I'm an optimization guy at heart. <laughs> well, not, not to open another can of worms. I think there's a story uh, this week about uh, Netflix and Tesla. But I don't know if you want to open that can of worms. I don't want to open that can of worms, okay. Uh, but I, I'd like, one thing that, that uh, I have said, and, I, and I'd like to say it again, the cars that, that would potentially eventually drive themselves or allow the, the vehicle to move, even though there's a driver behind the wheel, but to move without the driver taking any initiative. I am almost 100% certain that those cars were not going to be allowed to break the law. That if, particularly if we have a car that's operating without a driver, that car is not going to be able to be put on a street where it will drive 50 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone. Agreed. It won't, it will not drive in the wrong way on a one-way street. Agreed. Okay. So if, if neither that's should the, you, if, neither if should that, you in exactly, your car. <laughs> exactly. If that's the case, there seems to be absolutely no reason why today, instead of legislators worrying about what the rules should be and how we should enable driverless cars, those same regulators should be saying, legislators should be saying, how can we make the cars that are on the road today and the new cars that are being sold today and tomorrow, not in 10 years or 20 years, but to tomorrow, how can we make all of those cars obey all of the rules? I agree. There's no reason why a car should be driving down Cleveland Lane at more than 25 miles an hour. And I, we have all of the technology to do that. I agree. So why? I, I absolutely agree. Or, you know, decide what is maybe we set 25 because because we expected people to, to break it and it really should have been 30. OK, fine. So 30 is the number. I no, I, I've called I, many, many years, uh, you know, at least 10 years ago, I said we needed truth and transportation. We need we need a traffic laws that are actually laws. A speed limit is it a limit or is it just hell a suggestion? Uh, you know, do you have to really stop at a stop sign? Yes. Or, or well, no, maybe not. Maybe if you know that there's nobody coming, you don't. Uh, maybe that you know the whole objective of a stop sign is to make sure nobody's coming. I think I don't know, but yes, that whole discussion needs to take place. Uh, I don't think it's taking place. And I guess the, the point it, is that it, the technology is there to, to do that today. If, if there was a will. And, yeah, and it's it both. And the systems are going to have to operate on the, on the same playing field, you know, driving across the, doing driverless across the country and 
and obeying all the traffic laws, you're a menace out there. Why? Because nobody else is. And therefore, you know, you're causing more problems than, 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 than you're solving. Uh, but everybody needs to do this. How? And yes, that discussion needs to be there, Michael. I don't know how we get it going, but I agree with you 100%. Well, you, you just did. Moving moving on to another story, Ford has made an acquisition uh, buying Quantum Signal. That's a small company from Michigan focused on software and robotics, and it will provide Ford with a simulation platform for testing AV technology, according to a Ford blog post. There are other, obviously, uh, simulation platforms out there, but uh, I guess Ford wants its own. I, of course, uh, more importantly, these are folks that already live and work in Michigan. Uh, I think that's an important component. It must be an important component of the acquisition. Ford needs people who work in Michigan. And, uh, you know, transport them from, from Silicon Valley is, uh, I don't know, I guess people don't want to leave that are there don't want to leave there. So I think it's a great acquisition, but I think... I think it's more a people acquisition than it is a technology acquisition, but it's, it, it's certainly both of those. Those are really important. There's I a, think. there's a story you've got in the, in the newsletter, uh, Alan with the headline for driverless cars is the way to our hearts through our stomachs. And this is related to driverless delivery vehicles for food. Right. So, you know, this is uh, my my former colleague at Princeton, Professor Chow, who, um, you know, who was uh, who uh, helped advise um, Chen Yi Chen on his Ph.D. dissertation a few years ago out there, um, you know, um, making his uh, trying to make it happen um, uh, with his own company. So it's nice to see some positive news uh, from his end of the world. And finally, from the half-baked section of the Smart Driving Car newsletter, a New York Times piece with the headline, How Jaywalking Could Jam Up the Era of Self-Driving Cars. Uh, sure, <laughs> yeah, but, it, but it, it focuses on Manhattan, okay? I mean, you know, first of all, that's the last place that these things are going to appear because if you look at the operational design domain, that's the hardest place in the world. Uh, and so uh, I don't think uh, Manhattan's going to have to worry about it. And, uh, and of course, jaywalking um, uh, sort of um, uh, screws up all uh, traffic flow. Uh, can you imagine jaywalking on the New Jersey Turnpike? Um, uh, whatever. So in some sense, uh, there's, there's, there's going to have to be respect for these vehicles, Okay. Uh, right now, we have a certain amount of respect for a human-driven car, I guess, because we assume that there's a human back there, and we don't know whether or not that human would, would is looking to score points by hitting us or is afraid of uh, of the of hurting somebody. And we we have folks driving that that run from one end of that spectrum to the other. So therefore, that's why we respect cars and. And although I probably jaywalk, I got a jaywalking ticket in Washington, D.C. once, so uh, I don't know. What What do you want from me? I, mm-hmm. <laughs> Michael? <laughs> I, I never I never believed that jaywalking was a problem until I came to, for the first time, I came to uh, to Europe. Actually, it wasn't Europe. It was It was England. <laughs> oh, that's right. They're out of that's Europe, right. right? What yeah. are they? Okay, they're they're part and, of Bermuda now. You know, I guess and, they're and, part of Bermuda. And you sort of, you you stand there, and everybody stands there. At least they did back then, because everybody then knew what the laws were. Uh, and you stood there. If you weren't at a at a zebra crossing, and you were at a, a regular crossing, you stood there until the light changed, and then everybody went. And I, nobody, nobody waited for lights to change where I grew up and certainly not in New York where I spent a lot of time during the time I was in college. Uh, but it's still the case here. When I first came to Sweden, nobody, nobody jaywalked. But what's happened over the years is that people have seen, because there have been more tourists from places like 
the United States, but other places <laughs> outside of Europe where people don't jaywalk or didn't jaywalk. And now it's kind of like, well, you know, if you're standing there and there's nobody coming and there's, why are you, why are you waiting for the light to change? Don't be stupid, you know, yeah. just walk across the street. Um, but, but if you do it and there are people, especially older people, they'll look at you and sometimes they'll say to you, the light's not, the light's not green for you. Um, so it's, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's an attitude. I mean, it's, it's a culture. It is, a, it, it is yeah. an attitude and a culture. I mean, what is this communism? You got to be <laughs> wait to be told what to do. I mean, yeah. you don't have, you don't have free will, free mind. I mean, the, my goodness here in America, we <laughs> in America, right. Uh, <laughs> well, that's going to do it for, for this edition. We want to thank Michael Senna again for joining us. Thank you so much, Michael. It's always my pleasure. Michael, it's great having you. Hey, yeah. enjoy enjoy the day, huh? And I will. Yeah, well, my day's almost finished. Oh, great. Before Friday would be. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess also to the audience, I, uh, my wife and I were um, uh, started watching um, uh, Chernobyl last night, the series. Mm-hmm. And yep. that is a um, that is really something. Powerful uh, stuff. It is yeah. powerful stuff. I think uh, uh, we couldn't turn it off. Um, it is really, and and you know, hats off to all those folks who went and uh, and gave their lives and to uh, making sure that uh, you know, you know, one major screw up didn't you know really hurt a major part of the world. Yeah, Michael, where is the best place yeah. for people to to find you and the dispatcher? Well, it's uh, the best place is, is the website, www.michaelelsena.com. Michael L. Senna, it's S-E-N-A dot com. That's right. Yeah. One word, michaelelsena.com. And you can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, ask your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks so much for listening.